via Facebook. Well, just before we go, let me say happy birthday to uh, my sister, my own sister, Abigail Agbagba. Tuesday is your birthday. I really love you from the bottom of my heart. And oh, um, if truly food is the way to a man's heart, then your jollof, uh, banku, and okra stew may oh, make me love you more. I wanted to do this on an exciting note, but you know we're dealing with the loss of a colleague, so um, maybe on Tuesday uh, we'll make it better. And also to you, Larry Agbado, um, you, you, you're saying that great show, but it's on a sad note. Yeah, I know, Larry. Thanks for listening. Um, a wonderful evening also going out to you, Suleiman, um, you see technician on duty. From the Joint News team and the Joint News show, we say bye-bye. Sunday evenings. Good evening and welcome to Joy 99.7 FM and to the big conversation on Springboard, your virtual university. Tonight we have the honor of hosting a man 
I judged the best CEO in the MTN group for the year 2019, CEO of MTN Ghana, Selom Adadevo. He will be on very shortly. My name is Albert Okran. I'm doing this with the support of the Virtual Academic Board comprising Comfort, Matthew, Priscilla, Amos, Jojo, and Emmanuel. Tonight, on behalf of the Virtual Academic Board, I matriculate you into a week in which you will excel in business, finance, career, talent, relationships, education, health, and emotional well-being. It promises to be very special on the show tonight. Springboard is brought to you by Legacy and Legacy and your superstation Joy 99.7 FM. The broadcast is made possible by the kind courtesy of MTN Pulse Just Be. The Enterprise Group Enterprise Your Advantage, UMB Bank, UMB Speed Up, Diggy Bank Let's Go, and Access Pension Trust, your reliable partner in pensions. A big thank you to our print media partner, The Graphic Business. And that means that on page 18 in The Graphic Business on Tuesday, you will get a full transcript of tonight's discussion. Right. Let's say a big thank you to all of you for joining us on the show tonight. Let me welcome my guest for tonight, Salam Adadevo, CEO of MTN. Salam, welcome to Springboard. Good evening, Albert, and good evening to all your listeners and to all the backroom staff as well. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for making time. We've been waiting for it's been a long time coming, as I see. <laughs> it has been. It's been. It's been about a year and a half now since we last met on Springboard. So it's exciting to be back. Yes, we had a great time at the on the road show at the convocation in Accra. And that, that sets the tone for today's discussion. But before that, let me say a big thank you to MTN for sponsoring Springboard. Guess what? Since January of 2008, consecutively every single year, and with over 200,000 direct attendees at the Roadshow and 14 consecutive editions with a million virtual attendees every year for the past three years, what can we say? Thank you for the contribution to developing Ghana's human capital. Thank you so much. And thank you also for zero rating the core website, core.com.gh, to give a chance to the young people of Ghana, especially in this era of COVID-19, to benefit from e-mentoring, e-learning, and e-coaching. So, um, a big thank you to your team for the support. Hello, Salam, are you there? All right. So the discussion for tonight centers on leadership in unconventional times. And I am sure that for everyone of you listening, we've been doing a series on COVID-19 and the effect on the various sectors, various people. For the past few weeks, we've been treating medical personnel and how they have been disrupted by COVID-19. Here at Springboard, it was interesting that right in the middle of the roadshow, having done Kumasi, and Dan Kepkus were gearing up for what we thought would be a huge convocation in Accra when four days to time, the nation literally locked down and life has not been the same again. How big is the disruption we've been discussing? And what kind of leadership is required for unconventional times? Salom has answers for us because he runs a company that gives a livelihood to over half a million people through its various channels. Salom, from where you sit as CEO of MTN, how big is the disruption caused by COVID-19? Oh, it's massive. I mean, I think the word unprecedented would be the right the right sort of adjective for how big it is. It's simply unprecedented. I mean, I've read reports, global reports, that compare the economic impact of COVID-19 to the Great Depression in the 1930s. So, I mean, to go that you know that far back for such a comparison emphasizes the seriousness and the and the size of the impact that it's had on many economies, you know, including Ghana as well. I'm going to ask you to share your your thoughts uninterrupted, but just just give us some perspective. I can imagine that August by this time of year. Many companies are planning for or would have probably wrapped up their strategic plans for the next year very clearly with very clear deliverables. Let me, let me rewind 12 months ago. When you planned for the year 2020, did you ever envisage that it will be 
this disruptive? <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, we came into the year, you know, with a completely different plan. And, you know, we're welcome with, with COVID in the first quarter. And we had to rethink our entire strategy for the year, but also looking forward on what this means for the path going forward. And, and I do think, I mean, when we think about the topic, you know, sort of leadership in, in, in uncertain times, it's, you know, it's quite a thought-provoking topic. And, and for all of us, this really begs the question, you know, what type of leadership is required in a time like this? And, you know, what does that mean for redefining your company strategy or, or adapting your company strategy to the times we're in? So if I may, I'll just share some thoughts from the leadership perspective, and then we'll come back to the strategic questions on the business, and I'll share our perspectives and, what, and some of the things we've done here at MTN as well. To, to just, 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 just go ahead and give it to us, your thoughts, Salom Adadivo, on leadership in uncertain times. Take it away, Salom. Sure. So, I mean, I've, I've thought about this a bit, and, you know, it's a variety of, you know, what's happening now as far as COVID, but also, you know, my unique experience, having worked in the Caribbean for a number of years, and experienced, you know, quite a few disruptions to business, obviously not as big as this, you know, from the perspective of the impact and the damage, but requiring the same type of mental application and, and skill set in terms of leadership. So, you know, from that and from reading other journals on, you know, leadership through uncertain times or in a crisis, I formulated a number of things that I would like to share. Um, summarize this into five main main components. And I would say, you know, first of all, these are my own opinions, you know, buttressed by experience and, and, and literature and research. So I think there are five most important things. The first one is really, you know, accepting and acknowledging that there is uncertainty. And I think sometimes as leaders, you know, we try to be, we try to come across as we have the answers to everything. And in a situation where there's uncertainty, there's a crisis, Acknowledging that there is uncertainty and also acknowledging that you don't necessarily have the answers is, is a really good starting point. And, and this may be counterintuitive to leadership principles, but it really is. It's also important in all of that as we're acknowledging that there is uncertainty, that there is unity amongst the senior leadership in acknowledging that uncertainty, but also finding the certainty within the uncertainty. And, you know, what finding the uncertainty means is basically, and as much as there is uncertainty, there are things we know, right? So, for example, if I take COVID, we knew that COVID was going to be disruptive. We knew the risks to our staff and our employees. We knew we had to take extreme caution and measures to ensure the safety of our other stakeholders. These are the things we know. The uncertainty is what the effect will be around the business, whether we'll be able to continue to be productive on a day-to-day basis, what does that mean for our customers, for our clients? And what does that ultimately mean for the economy? And, you know, when will this actually start to seed and we'll start to see some normalcy coming back? So there are lots of questions that we can't answer, but there are some that we can answer. And we need to focus in, in all of that on the things that are certain and acknowledge your uncertainty and start to move forward from that perspective. So that's the first one. I mean, the second one is also demonstrating the right dose of empathy. And, you know, again, as leaders, sometimes demonstrating empathy and, and, under, and, a, and an understanding of our customers, our stakeholders, if I can use that broadly. And stakeholders here are, you know, basically your, 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 your employees, your people, your customers, your shareholders, the community people that you're, that you're, where your services exist, and also the government, right? So these are five stakeholders that we'll be thinking through it, ensuring that you're demonstrating the right dose of empathy, understanding from the perspective of your shareholders is extremely important because that vulnerability is really what starts to build this bond between you and those stakeholders for them to listen to you when you come back with your strategy on how to deal with the crisis. The third one is absolute transparency. And, you know, it's so important. I can't emphasize this enough. That, you know, during this time, you know, everything we're learning, everything we're knowing, we're sharing in a very transparent manner. It could be, you know, a regular email or update, any type of update through what, you know, through different channels on exactly what we're learning and, and what that's informing us as far as our decision making is concerned. Once people start to get the soundness and the logic behind decision making, there's a lot more trust. There's a lot more calm and people in as much as there is still uncertainty people start to feel that there is a defined path forward. And in that, they take a lot of 
um, they find a lot of calm and it allows everyone to, to continue to operate. And that's really a leader's job to make sure in as much as there's confusion, there's uncertainty, we're able to bring a sense of calm to all our stakeholders in the way we manage the crisis at that point in time. Humility cannot be overemphasized here as well because you're going to have multiple opinions. You're going to have different companies doing different things. You're going to have different countries with different policies. And in all of this, there's a lot of noise, right? And there are very specific situations for different companies, for different businesses, and for different countries as well. And there is a layer to just sort of follow the herd, if you know what I mean, you know, under these sort of circumstances, remaining humble, remaining confident, and ensuring that you're allowing yourself to assimilate the different sources of information coming through to you and making the right decisions based on your specific circumstances cannot be overemphasized again. And this is so important because there's a temptation to just jump and move. And, you know, if you're not humble enough to, to really give everybody a voice and not just listen to high-profile people or high-profile companies and see what they're doing, but really applying those specific conditions and situations that you face personally for your business, um, you're at risk of making the wrong decisions. That confidence that you need to stick to your decision-making and your plan, again, very important under the circumstances. But of course, you know, a crisis is a true test of leadership. And, and a lot of leaders have failed during a, tri- um, a crisis, especially when it's prolonged, right? For a short period, you can do a number of things that seem to be taking effect. But once it starts to get prolonged, then other things are, are important. You know, I call something strategic patience. And, you know, this is not just patience. This is really thinking through, you know, how do I demonstrate patience through the way I interact with my stakeholders And what does that mean for the strategies we've already embarked on? It's very, very easy to be leered, very easy to start to change direction too quickly because something happened. And, and, you know, having that strategic patience is really important to understand whether a move is worth taking or not. And, of course, a lot of things change during that time. The second one is stamina. You know, a lot of people make decisions. They're confident. But when things start to change, you could very easily interpret your decision as the wrong decision. So having stamina through all of this, you know, the ups and downs, lots of ups and downs, you know, that happen through all of these processes, ensuring you have some variety and innovation in how you continue to communicate and engage your stakeholders. And finally, resilience, which is, you know, definitely really important in all of this. You know, how do you wake up and be the source of energy for your team, be the source of energy for your staff, for your other stakeholders, show that strength that they need because in a lot of these people start to look for someone to draw their energy from and leadership is really the source of energy and you know it doesn't mean you're going out there saying things but even the way you posture yourself and and the way you present yourself allows that energy to be to be tapped and it's extremely important that that resilience continues to to flow through all the actions you take but um of course you know this is a real test And, you know, like I said before, for me, it's, it's important as you're going through a crisis, you're not just thinking about what's happening today. You're also thinking about what may happen three months down the line, six months down the line, and what your decisions today mean for your preparation coming out of the crisis. And a lot of the times people tend to focus so much on dealing with the turbulence of the crisis that they forget that beyond the turbulence, something else must happen. And I've seen a lot of people survive a crisis in the now, but have failed as soon as the crisis starts to seed and things start to achieve normalcy because they haven't factored in the fact that consumers have changed over the period, behaviors have changed over the period. I mean, our staff today are working from home and about 80% of our staff are working from home. If things change today, you, you, know, you have to manage that situation, but you can't also ignore the fact that there's been a behavioral change And you have to factor this new behavioral expectation into your decision making. So, you know, coming out of the crisis is equally as important, if not more important, than how you deal with the turbulence of the crisis. And this is where a lot of leaders fail because they don't think about the exit and, and, you know, and what happens beyond the crisis. It's, it's always in the now and everything and every decision is about the now. So that's called a normalization risk, which is when things are getting normalized, how do you deal with it? and what strategic objectives you need to have and focus on during a crisis so that you minimize that normalization risk. 
Um, so, that, so that's really sort of top level. I'm sure there'll be questions that come back and I can delve into more detail in any of these areas um, as needed. So I'll pause here for now and we can take it from there, Albert. You know what? What you've done is give me a bucket full of questions. Now my challenge is going, <laughs> which one to ask first? <laughs> so, Salah, let me, let me give you my summary. When I was in school, one of my favorite subjects was summary. So, I see. So let me attempt to give you my summary. And, and if I'm wrong, don't tell my audience. <laughs> All right. So let me give you the five, your five lessons on leadership in uncertain moments. You're saying accept and acknowledge that there is uncertainty and you don't necessarily have all the answers. You say, secondly, that there's a need to demonstrate the right dose of empathy for the key stakeholders of the business, the customers, the staff, shareholders, community, and government. The third thing you mentioned is the need for absolute transparency. And you say that once people get the soundness and the logic behind your decisions, trust is engendered and there is calmness in following the leadership direction. The fourth is that humility is key. You mentioned that there will be options and noise from various sources, but remain humble and confident, assimilating all the information and making your own informed decision. And the fifth is the confidence to stick to your decision and your plans. Going forward, he said, watch your leaders do three things. One is strategic patience, and that is key in a protracted crisis. Your second one is stamina to stay in there. And the third one, the biggest word in this COVID-19 era, resilience, how to wake up and generate energy for the whole team. That brings me to your final point, which in actual fact is my favorite because I've not heard anyone articulate this point as well as you have done so far, Salom. And that is minimizing the normalization risk. And so you're saying that what happens after the crisis should be one of the big points of discussion because if you do not prepare for the behavioral change and implications um, there of arising out of the crisis, you could find yourself rather struggling when things begin to get back to normal. Is that a good summary of your thoughts, Salom? That's a fantastic summary. Thanks. I couldn't have done a better job. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's start. Let's start with where it all begins, right from the beginning and accepting that there is uncertainty. and You don't have the answers. You, you, you mentioned that it's counterintuitive because literally our whole thinking about leadership is about the fact that you are supposed to have the answers. You're supposed to know what to do. You're supposed to be the one giving the direction. But you see accepting that you don't have the answers is a sign of leadership. That's not normally what people will see. Salam. Yeah, that's true. I mean, look, it's, it's counterintuitive on the one hand, but it also demonstrates, you know, a lot of the times, you know, a new age leadership, if I can put it that way, has a lot to do with empathy and vulnerabilities. And, and what we found is in, in the olden days, you know, a lot of leaders, you know, had this posture of, you know, the, the know-it-all, do-it-all type of people. And, and we've seen a lot of change now where there's a lot of emphasis on teamwork. There's a lot of emphasis on partnerships and decision making. And, you know, you can only tap those resources and, 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 and enhance your decision making if you accept certain things. And, and you know, having the, the right sort of frame of mind to be able to accept those things is really what drives new age leadership. And empathy is one of them. I mean, in this case, you know, being able to expose and demonstrate your vulnerabilities is another one. And, and a lot of new age leaders will, will demonstrate that. And you'd find a lot of old school leaders who still wouldn't demonstrate those sort of traits. Now, you know, there are differences in your ability to effectively manage situations like a crisis if you're not demonstrating some of those elements that people need to see to realize that I'm not alone in this, right? We're all here and we all don't know what, what to do going forward. However, someone is ready to provide a certain logical thinking to support all of us to make that step forward. And that's really what people are seeking to find. And that's how people remain calm because they know that we're not, we're all in the same boat. You talk about calmness with a smile on your face, but when 500,000 plus people depend on your decisions for their livelihood, you, you, you surely can't be sleeping well, Salem. Do I see a few more gray hairs than when I last saw you? <laughs> you have, yeah, there definitely a lot more gray hairs. <laughs> Let's talk about the empathy bit a bit more. You, you, you seem to have 
invested quite a bit. You, you seem to have chosen education as the beneficiary. From where I sit as a, a, a stakeholder, correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of what you did as MTN seemed to be investing in education, getting people to be able to um, access educational material, zero rated and so on. What drove that choice? Sure. So, you know, one of the points I made was really managing your stakeholders. And, and I highlighted five key stakeholders in all of this, right? So let's start with our people. So first of all, you know, our people, our workers, the, you know, they're seeking to have a sense of security. As soon as things like this happen, you know, we heard all over the news, different companies were shutting down, contracts were being terminated, staff were being let go and things like that. So the first the first thing we did was to give an assurance to our staff on their own security. Again, this is all leading to the calmness because if calm, calmness doesn't prevail, you start to lose your head and your decision-making starts to get compromised. So we had to ensure that we, we invested first in making sure that people are calm. So job security is important. And then secondly, the health and safety of our staff, right? Making sure that they know that we've put in place the right protocols to ensure their safety while we continue to figure out where to go and how to go where we're going. So that's one stakeholder. Customers are another stakeholder. Their main concern, as far as we're concerned, was service availability. So how can I make sure that in all of this, as people are moving home to study, you know, which would be students, people are moving home to work, that the economic impact from COVID is high enough that if it's exacerbated by the fact that you don't have connectivity from home, then that will be a major economic problem. So customers are expecting service to be available. Resilience in terms of our network availability is important. So that was one of the pillars that we invested in to make sure we're able to expand our international bandwidth, you know, implement few sites very quickly, 100 sites by the end of Q1 to increase our, our capacity. These are all things we looked at. But there's also the part which is affordability and freeness. Right, people have lost their economic drivers. People who have informal jobs also don't have the jobs to drive their income, and their discretionary spend is is also compromised or, or has or has disappeared to a large extent. So, you know, we went through and said, look, we, you know, we can't support freeness across the network because the network will crash, and then we'll have a, a huge impact on productivity across the board. But we can support education. We can support, you know health education, academic education, and we made a decision very early to zero rate or to make free some of these educational sites, you know, over 200 now um, that we've done, this was done progressively. So that was really the rationale at that point to say people need to continue to, to be able to educate themselves. And we all know that education has a huge impact long-term on, on, on our economic future. And therefore it's something we shouldn't compromise even in a situation like a crisis. So, we were very happy to do this, and we've committed that until the pandemic ends, we'll continue to provide these free services for education up until that point. Of course, the other stakeholders, shareholders, you know, who are looking at survival of the company and need us to 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 reinforce that we, we you know we do have our hands on the wheel and we can get through this crisis with our company still being a going concern. Of course, communities in terms of CSR, so. You know, we supported in this way and said, look, there are small hospitals, there are small communities that need specific support. So we've been going around giving PPEs and different types of supports in this area as well. Even some of our staff on their own um, supported during the lockdown. There was a guy who in his area was providing food to people um, over, I think it was over a thousand people that he supported over a two or three week period and, you know, from his own money, right? Nothing to do with us, MTN. And, but again, looking at this sort of goodwill and, and the need, I mean, these are real needs within the communities, right? People just don't have a source of income. People can afford to buy food on a daily basis um, during such situations. And, you know, seeing people like that who can go out there and support, we have a responsibility as a company to do the same. And of course, government has a bigger job, which is, you know, looking at this complex balance of, you know, health, economy, survival. And I use survival here because in a place like Ghana, in a crisis like COVID, survival is really your first, your first concern. You know, how can we survive this? And once we survive this, everything else 
becomes becomes a luxury. So survival is really the paramount thing in terms of you know what the government is looking at. Survival has various aspects: economic, it has health-wise, and 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 other components. So to the extent that we can support in these areas on the health side with our PPE donation that we did, the five million Ghana cities, um, on the education side, supporting the ministries. And, and, you know, other areas that we came, you know, we came in and brought ourselves to be able to support um, the government in different ways, supporting specific agencies within the government to help them be productive during all of this. And so, again, there's a lot that has gone into this. But ultimately, all of this has come from a place which is how can we get through this pandemic and still have an economic future that's bright and positive? That's the big question that we all are asking as we explore the various facets of how COVID has changed the way we engage. I'm sure that a year ago or, or, or a month ago, you'll be right here in the studio. But the good news is that even though it's a different world from what we are, we've been used to, it's also quite exciting because it means that from where you sit, we can actually get to interact without physically relocating, relocating from where you are into the studio and, and still give the same quality of experience to, to our, our viewers and our listeners. And I, I guess that can only be good. No, absolutely. I think it's really brought, you know, a lot of realization on what is possible. And, you know, we, we saw borders as physical barriers to communication, you know, before COVID. And to a large extent, we didn't leverage the tools that we could to break down these, these barriers and borders. And today, COVID has opened up our eyes and, you know, we can go across borders very easily. We're, I've, I've had two or three conferences online since COVID hit. And these were conferences in different locations with people from all over the world. So we've really pulled down these borders and said, look, we can do a lot of things being in one place. We can do a lot of things and a lot of interactions with people in other places by the power of digital and by the power of the Internet. So it's, it's quite a powerful realization. And for some of us who you know, started this journey with our strategic planning two years ago on, on becoming a digital operator, COVID has really you know, I guess it's raised the bar in terms of how quickly we need to achieve that. And, you know, perhaps the, the biggest implication of that in our strategic planning is to accelerate our ambition to becoming a digital operator. It would seem like in, in that regard, talking about opportunity, in that regard, it would seem like one will literally need to take the, the, the strategic plan and tear it up and, and rewrite it because you're, in certain regards, your projection for adoption for where you should be probably five years from now has been achieved in five months. <laughs> yes, to a large extent. Look, there are different ways to look at it. And, you know, ultimately, when you think about, at least in our case as MTN, when we, we, you know, we thought about becoming a digital operator, we had, you know, three, four-year plan in place, which we were achieving. And yes, you're right. I mean, we, we implemented, you know, all these, you know, Microsoft Teams solutions earlier this year or late last year. But if you look at the adoption before COVID, it was actually quite low. I mean, I was one of those who had it on my desktop, but I thought it was too cumbersome. I didn't think it was intuitive enough. And the day we had to start working from home, I, I opened it up again and it was suddenly very intuitive, you know? So, you know, as human beings, there is a reluctance to, to shift when the need is not high enough or the perceived need is not high enough. And that's what slows down some of these, uh, you know, some of these strategic plans where we know where we, where we have to go. We believe in where we have to go. But because the perceived need is not so high, the motivation to speed it up is also quite moderate. And COVID has, you know, accelerated that significantly for us. And today we have all our staff, you know, on these tools now working remotely at the peak of it, we had 87% of our staff working from home. And it was amazing the levels of productivity we're seeing when HR produced the report. So, you know, it's a, it's, it's a great realization. There are some opportunities that have come out of COVID, some positives. I would like to say, you know, as a country, ultimately this, this will be positive for us um, as an economy that's in an emerging market because it will force us to do some of the things that would have taken much longer to do. And it would only go to boost our three to five year economic planning. That is literally prophetic, what you just said, Salom, because ultimately, ultimately, for many people who look at what is happening in terms of digital engagement and adoption with, with, with COVID 19, 
they are suggesting that these are things that were in the pipeline uh, with hopes that it will be done sometime in the future. Last year, we spent the whole of the year, our team was the digital revolution, the whole of the year from beginning to end, all our programs mm-hmm. talking about it. And I recall at the program where you, you spoke so brilliantly, one of the questions that Dr. Tabo asked and the challenge he threw to all of you, if you remember yourself, Kufidazi, and all those who spoke at the program, was to let digital solutions permeate our lives so much that they speak to the most basic of our needs. And at that time, it was almost like the challenge of Springboard at the close of the program. But here we are, looking back and saying, literally everything that we, we do has been overtaken by technology at a pace that none of us could have predicted. Salom, what opportunities do you see as a business leader, especially in the area of technology? What are the opportunities that you see um, driven or occasioned by COVID-19? Sure, look, uh, lots of opportunities. And, and I can take a few segments and, and just sort of explain, you know, what's going on here. So <clears throat> if I look at our entire, you know, we have a huge informal sector in Ghana today. And what we've seen in, in some areas is, you know, how does the informal sector sell their services or their products when you don't have physical interaction. So we're looking at social distancing, for example, and it becomes a huge impediment. So companies will literally fail because they have no way of selling their goods outside of walking to people to promote and push the goods to those individuals. So in a world like this, first of all, e-commerce has become something that we're going to have to live with for the rest of our lives in a significant way. And the importance has been even emphasized. So you think about Jumias of the world and Zuba shops and things like that. But one of the more interesting things we've seen are in small communities, people have created pseudo e-commerce facilities where one person who is a little IT literate literally advertises through their phones to other people in the area. It's quite, quite a basic mechanism, but it's emphasizing a need that people can no longer walk around and see things and get to know things or get to experience things, but somehow they have to find out what's available to them within their community. So a lot of these community shops, which are effectively online, not with a level of sophistication like a, a Jumia or like a Zuba shop, but with some degree of sophistication, we'll start to see the trend moving in those directions where people will now feel very comfortable having a vegetable shop where people can order vegetables from online, People would have small shops in their corner where they sell slippers, they sell chalewate, or they sell cutlasses and stuff in the area. People can order again through the phone and make payments. So, you know, my guess is that we'll see a lot of this in the new normal where a lot of people become a lot more open to some of these services. I'm not saying it would take away completely physical shops and having to go to the markets and things, but we'll see a significant acceleration from even the small to medium and Soho shops in that direction. If we look at things like e-services, you know, where you know, banks have been playing in this space for a while with online banking and tools like that. But e-services has gone way, be, way beyond that. Where today we're talking about you know, international arbitration, where you're online and providing a service to a customer in another country or trying to, or trying to solve a case that way. We're looking at telemedicine as, as one of the things that has also sprung up in this period which is, again, an e-service. So there are lots of different you know, support services from the telecoms operators. We, for example, um, have accelerated tools for people to self-manage themselves from home and you know, through my MTN and other, other portals like that. So these things are becoming more and more important, and these are where the opportunities are. And the opportunities are two or threefold. By enhancing some of these electronic services, your cost structure and your business models are changing. And they are changing from your investment strategy on where to put your investment dollars or your investment CDs versus what sort of cost structure you should have in your business to be a successful and sustainable business going forward. And it's all to do with the changes where we're seeing as a result of COVID. The home, for example, has become a very different, a very different entity in, in that equation as well. So the home used to be a home. And now it's, it's like a multifunctional you know, hub, if I can put it that way, where there's business in the home, there's home stuff in the home, but people are using that home facility for so many other things that they didn't do before. 
And having to equip that home and seeing that home as an area for business is something we're going to have to get used to as well. But that's essentially what it is today. And, and again, the needs of businesses to think about their home differently is quite important. So we'll see a lot of this going forward. And, and I think there are two or three other areas where in, in all of this, there's also the aspect of health and how consumer expectations have changed and the focus and emphasis on health. So for, you know, cons- you know um, FMCG companies, for example, that are into foods and things like that, my guess is that your positioning around health going forward will be even more important than it was before COVID because the awareness on health and the importance of health will continue to go up significantly. And, you know, similar in terms of, you know, social purpose for companies and, and how we position ourselves around how we're supporting the communities and the importance of that, again, for your brand equity and for your brand recognition will be very, very important as we come out of this COVID pandemic into the new normal. It is 20 minutes to the hour of 8 o'clock. If you just joined us, this is Springboard of Virtual University talking about leadership in uncertain times. My guest, Salomon, that was CEO of MTN, has left us with a few very critical prescriptions. He's used the word calmness. I've been used to resilience, but tonight I'm learning about calmness, staying calm in the face of a very turbulent, unprecedented pandemic. What are your thoughts on this discussion? What are you learning? Let's have this big conversation on social media. Join us as we explore the various points he has shared with us tonight. I'm going to give you a chance to catch your breath, Selim. When I come back to you, I'm going to be finding out how do you plan for the year 2021 with a bit of certainty. In your first point, you said separate the uncertainty from the certainty. So you will help us to appreciate how does the business leader plan for the year 2021? Springboard is brought to you by Legacy and Legacy Enjoy 99.7 FM, proudly sponsored by MTN, MTN Pulse, Just Be, the Enterprise Group, Enterprise, Your Advantage, UMB Bank, UMB Speed Up, DigiBank, Let's Go, and Access Pension Trust. We'll go for a brief break. When we come back, pull out your notebooks as we plan for the year 2021 with Salem. Please don't go away. So everyone says I'm a Kosia filler, but it's not like I'm nosy. Or go out to find out the latest filler. It's just that I get 50 megabytes of data free after paying for only the first minute of every call. And so I just keep discovering stuff minute after minute. That's how come I was minding my business, scrolling through my timeline, and I found out Coco has a new baby. Oh, and last week, I learned Ken won the lottery. You see, Ken is my brother's friend. So hello. Look who's about to roll with the rich and famous. Enjoy even more value with MTN Free After One. You only pay for the first minute of your call on MTN Free After One. And the rest is free. Plus, you enjoy free 50 megabytes worth of data to browse your favorite sites. Open where? Open there. So dial star 315-hash to sign up. We pay for you everywhere you go. Terms and conditions apply. In these uncertain times, we have discovered that most workers do not have any financial fallback for emergencies. That should not be our story. If you're looking to improve your financial situation or you simply need more information to make the right financial decisions, then look no further. Join the Access Smart Money Talk a weekly interactive session hosted by Access Pension Trust. On Smart Money Talk, we feature industry experts to cover various personal finance topics, as well as everyday Ghanaians to share their personal finance story. Join us each and every Wednesday at 4 p.m. on Facebook Live to be empowered to achieve financial peace of mind. Access Pension Trust, your reliable partner in pensions. was established in 1972 as the premier bank for the corporate and private sector in Ghana. From our very beginning, as the only Ghanaian bank serving all categories of businesses, we set a standard for excellence and innovation over the past 45 years. We've built a financially healthy and strong bank, demonstrated our commitment to our customers and to growing businesses, and exhibited originality and innovation at every turn. 
At UMB, our focus is built around people, service, products, and technology. These are the key to our present success and our future triumphs. At UMB, we're poised to make a difference not only with our customers, but also in the banking industry. We invite you to share in our future. Our future starts now with you. When you don't have the Enterprise Advantage app, you're not in control. Boss. Yes, Akwesi. I'm at where they sell the coats. What size do you like? Ah, what coat? Coat, coat, office coat. Ah, I said get me a coat. Quotation from Enterprise. Ah, you pan. Oh, what coat? Save yourself from the stress. Take advantage of the Enterprise Advantage app. Make your claims, check statements, request for a coat, and buy a policy from any of our subsidiaries. What's more, you can also get health tips, traffic information, find mechanic shops, and more on your Enterprise Advantage app. Download the Enterprise Advantage app on Google Play and Apple Store now. Here is to 95 years of trust. Enterprise, your advantage. And Springboard is your virtual university. 15 minutes to the hour of 8 o'clock. If you just joined us, this is the big conversation with my guest, Salom Adadivo, CEO of MTN. And you're talking about leadership in uncertain moments. Listen, if you even have a business with five staff or you are a sole proprietor, you still have big issues to deal with. And so tonight's argument, if somebody is running an organization that has the livelihoods of 500,000 families dependent on the leadership, definitely that must count for something. How do we look forward to next year, when this year, we still can't even tell how this year will end. We still have August to end September, October, November, and December. How do we plan, as we normally do, for the year ahead with some modicum of certainty? And that's the big question that I'm going to be asking Salom now. But I'm going to be moving the phone lines also very shortly. Please don't ask for airtime. Let's find out from Salom. If you are running a small company, you're running a company, you need direction about how to take your your business to the next level. Call in. Let's 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 find out what we can learn as we try to position our businesses for the years ahead. Um, Salom, let's let's go on to the issue of projection. In a very disruptive, you've talked about the confidence to stick with your plan. Um, and, 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 and strategic patience, another one that you mentioned. But how do you project into the next year with some bit of clarity in the face of all this noise? Sure. So, look, it's a very difficult, I guess, projection, you know, to make in terms of 2021. But let me try to to share how we are thinking about 2021, at least from our perspective, and we can we can look at the broader perspective as well. So first of all, you know, historically, you take, you look at your historical trends and try to understand what does this mean and how does this inform my path forward? And, and you know, we've had a big break in that historical trend. So the relevance of that is not as high as it would have been a year ago. So that's really where the uncertainty is coming from. I mean, the second thing is, you know, how long will this last for? But what's the implication internally on the economy, on the drivers of growth, on people's ability to afford certain things going into 2021? But then thirdly, what is the international market and how would that play in terms of our own plans in, you know, within Ghana? Because we have a huge dependency on the external market as well. So we can't only be concerned about what happens in Ghana, but we're also concerned about what happens outside of Ghana. And some very simple examples, you know, the US, you know, Asia or China war, for example, if I can put it that way, again, it's a significant determinant of, you know, what may happen in terms of the the balance of power and how will that play out, you know, as far as our decision-making is concerned. So, COVID-19 is one is one uncertainty, but there are other economic uncertainties that are playing out in other markets that we need to think of as well. So for us, the, you know, the first thing is to exercise a certain degree of caution. Because we're not sure exactly how things will play out, we need to exercise some caution in how we think about 2021 and how we balance our ambitions for 2021 with that caution that we're taking. But then the second thing is also to look at our fundamental equation of of running a business to say, because of the uncertainty, caution also means there's a strategic caution in terms of our ambitions, but there's also strategic caution in terms of our P&L and how we run that. 
So looking at our cost basis, looking at how we can conserve cash, looking at how we can give up certain activities we would otherwise have, have embarked on. While we try to get further into 2021, where certainty will start to be, certainty will start to overtake the uncertainty. And at that point, we can recommit and replan. So that's the approach we're using. So we're saying, let's remain cautious. Let's plan strategically around caution. Let's enhance our tooling to be able to be more digital, which will remove some of our costs in our, in our baseline. And then operationally become more efficient in how we go into 2021. That allows us a certain amount of cushion if things go really bad because of those decisions we've made around operational efficiency, we have at least some cushion to be able to, to react in that situation. So that's from the strategic level. Now, if I look at it from another perspective, which is also something we're interested in, COVID has really exposed the digital divide. And, you know, we wouldn't have thought that digital infrastructure would become an everyday requirement and a basic requirement for that matter for the average Ghanaian. But that's essentially what it is. And if, if we believe what the new normal will look like, then that need continues to be high. And going into 2021, we as service providers have to continue to provide solutions to some of those needs. So in as much as we're exercising caution in the way we're running our business, we're also cognizant of the fact that there is a real need for, for services on the digital platform and digital infrastructure for which we need to continue to seek the right levels of investment. So we would expect to continue to invest in infrastructure to support digitization across businesses, across the markets, again, in a similar fashion as we have this year. And um, though we're disrupted to some extent this year, we will continue to push on those elements next year. So that's at a very high level is really how we're looking at it. Let's continue to invest in digital so that we can support our customers, the economy, but let's be cautious in how we run our business, tighten our purse a bit, be more efficient operationally so we have some cushion if things don't go the way they should. So I can, I can assure you that as you articulate these points, somebody's also writing them down because they would in turn inform their own strategies, just like the, the issues you mentioned on the international front are informing your strategy here in Ghana. MTN strategy is also informing some other businesses' strategy. Let me bring on Kufi from Accra. Who wants to ask you a question? Hello, Kofi. Yeah, good evening. How are you? Ah, very well, Kofi. Let's talk to Selim. What What would you like to find out? Yes, um, it, it, it's interesting the discussion we're having, and I perfectly agree with Selim. I mean, he spoke so eloquently, spoke very well. Uh, but I just have some two questions. Uh, number one, I mean, if Selim, you know, in the technology space, we agree that for them they are in business because we need data. We can communicate and all that. So he has very wonderful words for his staff. If he were to run a school, to run a hotel, how would he encourage the, the staff? How would he pay them? And secondly, um, this is just an aside. I'm expecting MTA not only whitelisting a website of schools. How about the business community, SMEs? Why don't we also offer them some, let's say, unlimited data, like you go to elsewhere in the world, UK, among others, where you can have unlimited data. You pay a certain amount every month, which is affordable. Why shouldn't we have some of these things also to cushion us with those not in MTM? Thank you. Thank you, Kofi from Accra. So, Salon, the big question Kofi is asking, how do you uh, translate the thoughts you've shared into managing a school or a hotel that is going through even more disruption than the average business is going through? But I think it's very, it's very, I mean, look, it's very applicable, but there are very specific industries as well. If I take a school, of course, you're looking at school and the biggest question for education now is, you know, our physical, our investment in our physical infrastructure versus the needs today, which are largely e-learning and things like that. So how do we adapt what we've already invested in to be able to still provide the digital services that are required, at least in the short term? for further education or to continue education. And that will be the big decision because that balance of what do I believe about 2021? Will things get back to normal where I wouldn't need these digital services or are things going to remain in the new normal on the digital side so I can essentially reduce or limit my investment in bricks and mortar? 
and focus more on the digital side of things. And that decision making is, you know, maybe the biggest conundrum in the education sector today. To what extent do I continue to invest in bricks and mortar or brick and mortar versus the digital arm that will support education from from home and e-learning platforms and things like that? I personally think it's inevitable. Again, one of the mistakes you make coming out of a crisis is to assume that things will go back to how they were before. I don't believe that things will go back to the way they were before. And people have changed. Consumer behavior has also changed. Your students in the educational sector have also changed your expectations. And therefore, we have to really accept that there will be a high degree of e-learning and working from home and learning from home. And we have to adapt our strategies to reflect that, that new normal. And if we don't do that, then we'll probably be the losers when, when we get out of all of this. Quick one, quick one. Um, uh, uh, the, the, the part B of Kofi's question is about SMEs and those who are not in the spaces that you, he thinks you've invested in and what can be done for them. Sure. So one of the things, and, you know, when we, when we think about coming out of, of the pandemic, there are a number of key things. And some of the things we have learned as a company, for example, is the, you know, I call it removing the shackles, which is basically saying we have to de-risk the value and supply chain through partnerships or through much broader partnerships. What that does is it gives you a certain degree of optionality where if there is another crisis later on down the line, you have 15 partners that were supplying something and therefore you can over-index on one or two of them who have the ability to keep supplying in a crisis. It minimizes the risk for the business. So I personally think and believe that a lot of companies will start to think about their value chains and supply chains along these lines of de-risking those elements. And that would allow other companies within the country to get opportunity that they didn't have before to be able to support these diversifications of value chains and supply chains. So for an SME, those would be the opportunities that I will see. Um, But obviously, you would have to also ensure that you're able to position yourself at the standards and quality that is available or that's required for these services to be delivered at the highest level to be in a position to tap into this opportunity. But there will be opportunities along those lines, and I'm 100% sure that there'll be an expansion of these services into the SME space. The second thing for SMEs is really the funding. And a lot of SMEs typically would have, you know, a funding structure that allows them to have cash on hand for 14 to 30 days on average. And, and, and therefore, coming out of this, a lot of, a lot of SMEs probably have accumulated debt through all of this, all of this pandemic. Um, you know, some would have had a situation where the demand for their services has dropped and the ability for them to provide the services has also been compromised. So really reinventing yourself and maybe not getting too, too obsessed about what you're doing before and really thinking about what's forward and how what you have today in terms of your assets can support what's forward. And I, and I think, you know, trying to, trying to, Avoid getting falling into the trap where you're married to what you did before, and that's the only thing you're going to continue to do. Maybe the the single stroke that may lead to failure. But if you're adaptable and thinking about how can I leverage my existing assets to support the new normal, then you're in much then you're in a much better place to be able to survive going forward. So perhaps that flexibility in thinking and strategic planning will be required for SMEs as well. Salam, let me give you a last break. When I come back, I'm going to give you a minute to give us your closing thoughts. But let me cross over to Jojo to give us our Game Changer segment for today. It's going to take a minute of that. When we come back, I'm going to ask you your closing thoughts for the many people listening to you across the world. So, please stay with us. Jojo, what do you have for us for today? I have a secret. I love cars. My dream car is a Tesla, but classic sports cars have always been my weakness. So you can imagine my excitement when I saw a convoy of about five supercars lined up at a stoplight. I'm talking three Porsches, a Lamborghini, and a stunning red Ferrari. So I sat there, you know, daydreaming about driving one of those beautiful machines. And suddenly, the green light interrupted my dream. My lane started moving, and I looked over expecting the supercars to take off like lightning with their their engines thundering in their wake. But to my surprise, they stood still, motionless. And I was confused until I reached the front of the convoy and it all made sense. Today, our game changer is bottlenecks. You see, the reason that all those speed demons couldn't move was simple. There was a painfully slow tricycle carrying garbage in front of them. 
So despite all their power, that roadblock prevented them from getting up to speed. And the same thing happens in our business processes. You can have a team of elite performers, but if their output has to go through an underperforming choke point, they cannot reach maximum productivity. And that choke point is called a bottleneck. So how can we eliminate bottlenecks in our businesses? Step one, map out your processes. You can't improve what hasn't been assessed. Step two, measure your outputs. Which processes slow things down? And step three, restructure. Can you reduce waste or increase processing capacity at any of your bottlenecks? Management legend Peter